Headliner Radio, the creative voice. Okay, we've got Patrick Pearson from LYR. How are you doing? Welcome to Headliner Radio. Hey, um, uh, thanks for having me. Um, doing very well. And uh, I'm down here in Devon, um, soaking up some sunny rays mm. in my studio. Oh, you're at your studio? Yeah, yeah, I am currently. Um, I'm, I'm sort of... Uh, I have a, a few writing, um, few writing projects on at the moment. So yeah, just at my desk, which is a lovely place to be. Yeah. Lovely. Well, that must've come in handy in lockdown having your studio. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, it really has been. Mm. Um, yeah, I'm very lucky to have, still have access to my studio and, um, and, and, and a place to work and, and write. Yeah. How's, how's this whole experience been for you? It's been, it's been interesting. I, uh, I would like to say that perhaps I've been more prolific in my output. Um, mm. I think that because of my situation where I am, I still have access to my workplace. I live in an isolated area, um, kind of in the, in, in the Devon rolling hills, and I don't necessarily have had the impacts of isolation forced upon me and that changed my workflow. So in terms of my writing, um, in terms of my production, uh, nothing has necessarily changed. However, um, I've had, um, I've had problems with being, uh, with, with having other people down. So collaborative work has moved to the, to the, um, uh, the remote nature of writing with people, um, which is something that LYR started in that process of remote writing. Mm. Um, but I guess that's the, but really being the only change is, is, is having to think outside of the box when it comes to collaboration. So LYR is this stunning project that involves, uh, the UK poet laureate, Simon Armitage. Could you just give us your kind of introduction to that? It'd be great to hear an introduction from yourself as well, your background in music and everything as well. Yeah, sure. Uh, well, this project um, came about um, through this, this three members of LYR, um, myself, uh, Simon Armitage, Poet Laureate, and singer-songwriter Richard Walters, who, um, who initially um, put the project together. He had worked with Simon on um, a single he just emailed Simon and said, look, I love your work and I'd love to do some music at some point. And sort of, I think that's been over the years has, has been a, just an idea. And then he asked me to, to come in and, and, and be producer. And then we kind of formed the band and, and, and then that happened. Um, and we're about to release the record, which is, which is, um, yeah, it's been a, a really exciting process, and we can go into the finer details of that. But um, so that that that's the project itself, the the key members, and my background as a musician. I uh, I studied piano and violin, did all my grades. Um, so I think my I think my mum wanted me to become a performer, uh, a virtuoso, you might say, and I was never really that bothered about 
firstly about playing anybody else's music. I mean, I did my grades and that was it. And I kind of got through it. Um, but I was always more interested in using it as a writing source. So I do have a classical background. Um, however, I then sort of disowned that. And when I was a teenager, just joined the local bands playing bass guitar or uh, rhythm guitar. Um, and 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 doing some singing and things like that and then uh, i kind of stumbled my way through a musical journey of um selling t-shirts and driving vans to being a to being a session player um and touring extensively and then being a published writer um and and making records to becoming a studio owner um and 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 an artist uh within the context of this and and making records which is where i which is what i studied at at leeds college of music i studied production so it's actually quite nice to finally be in uh in a career that you actually studied for i guess yeah yeah of course so within elway are you're the either band's producer and obviously multi-instrumentalist as well Correct. Yeah. Yeah. I am, um, uh, production arrange and, and, and mix as well. So I mix the record. Um, and yeah, yeah, I was, I was the kind yeah, of the, the person that pulled everything in. So in terms of Richard getting involved with Simon originally, does he sounds like he sort of had a hit and hope email. I'm just going to email this famous poet and see if he wants to yeah. make some music. It sounds like. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, as far as I'm aware, he just emailed him and, and had, Maybe he had spoken to him. Um, he'd seen him perform in Oxford where, when Richard was growing up and said that, you know, he was the one poet that really touched him in a in a kind of uh, a language-based um, way, but also the way that it was that he performed his poetry was... I think Simon has a real, a really unique way of presenting his poetry. And, yeah, Richard just wanted to kind of work in... Um, in any connection with him. And I think they kind of bounced ideas between each other of, uh, Simon sent him some, sent him a poem and Richard, um, translated that and sang, sang his, his words. Um, and I think they, they brought another producer on and it never really, it didn't seem to, to, to really hit, um, hit the spot and, and, and it got put on the back burner of the project. And then, yeah, uh, Richard asked me about four years ago whether I wanted to come in on board, and I immediately said yes. And I've been working with Richard on on other projects. Um, he has a solo project, and we were in a band called Lube in London. We put out some singles as well. Mm. So, yeah, um, then this this happened. And had Richard had any inkling of whether Simon, you know, would be interested in bringing his poetry to music prior to that first email? I don't. I don't think so. I think he just, you know, had a confident email and <laughs> yeah. sent it. And obviously, you know, Simon's a Simon's a lovely guy and and very interested in music and always has been. Always professes that um, music is has always been a massive part of his his upbringing and, and his poetry. So I guess Richard just gave it a go. <laughs> yeah. So are we allowed to kind of peek behind the curtain of your creative process of LYR? I'd love to hear about that. Yeah. Mm. So it's a, it, it's a real 
uh, interesting thing to be presented with. Um, we so initially after talking about the project, I said Richard and I came up with the idea of sending sending a dictaphone to uh, Simon and getting him to put his words down onto that because he's a busy guy and well we were all busy but we you know we wanted to test the water with the project and I thought okay so the first thing to do is trying to capture the poetry um in 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 a quick and easy and most comfortable way so we sent this dictaphone to him and it took about a year for for it to come back and when it came back it was full of not just poetry but sounds and um instruments that he'd found um there was about 15 tracks and some of it one of them was just simon laughing um uncontrollably so you know it, it was amongst other pieces of poetry and it was a very exciting exciting relic and, and a gemstone to to unfold was this this well-renowned poet with with an insight into perhaps how he wanted the project to go and it had a certain layer of emotion and power but also humor as well so i guess that really shaped my understanding of how i was going to translate these these words but it wasn't until i actually put them into into the session i realized how difficult um this 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 could potentially be because you have to you have to put aside any idea that you're going to um be building on a grid or even to any kind of click um because i think to try and grid up a poem you immediately strip all of the um value out of it and and, and simon says that when when he writes a poem everything is included the cadence, the tempo, the arrangement, the instrumentation is all there in the words. And I got that and I tried to then um, extract each element from the poem. And I guess I started with I started with the tempo, as you would as you would any anything really, you know, you try and find what you, what your tempo mark is. But I had to go off his phrasing and that that proved to be the first initial method of, 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 of building tracks. And, um, and there were some poems where he would, where there was actually um, one of the first ones with 33 and a third, which was one of our singles that we released, which, which came with an inner groove. So that gave us our tempo map um, straight away. So, so the, the whole piece was based around this, this inner groove and that actually the, 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 the metronome or the metronomic, thing is actually included in the whole piece um mm. and and other times i use drones um percussive dronal ideas so there's um in zodiac t-shirt there's these sort of uh ambient blips and beeps that that kind of maybe remind you of a of a of a hospital um that were beeping away uh, in in the background and that gave me a tempo map for that so you couldn't do it um, uh, in a standard way. Uh, it was that was the first first process was to actually when you get them into the into the computer was to actually build your own structure, um, uh, and then everything just 
kind of f- fit into place very easily. Um, I I use the piano a lot to to arrange chord chordal ideas. Um, being a piano player, um, and it was it was it was a really interesting process because you just you'd record something and actually it was easier to record it away from Simon's vocals and then put his vocals on top and see see where they'd sit within the composition that you'd that you'd figured out and 99% of the time it just worked effortlessly and I don't know what that is and and maybe it's because the two elements were created separately you put them together and 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 it kind of worked um so for, for the most part that was the that was the process of production and arrangement uh was to was to use that process and then and then richard coming in and adding layers and textures with his voice um and then writing verses and choruses to um uh to to add within the song context because we always wanted it to be songs and not just soundscapes basically yes well it's amazing to hear it kind of fell into place naturally and organically because i mean clearly it's not your run-of-the-mill songwriting in any sense of the word so it could have on on one hand it could have been a big challenge but it sounds like it wasn't too tough for you at all no i think maybe you, you if you look at um, Never Good with Horses, which was our first single, that had um, that that had a verse chorus structure that Simon had presented anyway. Because a lot of these poems, he has always said that they they um, they were always orphaned poems that felt to him as though they had never found their place, and a lot of them were supposed to be with music and when when i heard that poem it was quite obvious what what where the chorus sat and and there was this repeated uh, motif of of the choral line and 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 which summed up the, the the piece um so finding a structure was was interesting like i said because sometimes they're just long lists as a poem sometimes they're more defined uh and the process really of going backwards and forwards um with the with with the others um and sort of crafting it into something that we felt was what sat between that emulated the poetry um but was also something that people could listen to um and and relate to and feel moved by um emotionally and um and 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 i think texturally having a lot of beauty involved in that mm. um, was what just it just naturally naturally came to be that that's what the project was and yeah. as soon as we hit that um we we hit those those few songs that really emulated that um we felt like we were we we felt very energized to to write more and 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 yeah yeah get the album done and it all happened quite quickly. Yeah. Did I see in some of the videos of you guys online, did Simon chip in with the music a bit? I'm sure I saw him at a piano in one clip. And- not, uh, not that I'm aware of. I think that he provided some sound um, re- field recordings. Um, so he is actually uh, 
credited with a few field recordings. Like I think there's some wind chimes he played on Leaves on the Line. But um, as far as piano is concerned, I, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I, I played. I played that. Yeah. But does Simon have any background in music at all? Did, like even at school or whatever. Yeah, I think I think he w- he sang in in a choir at one point when he was a kid, um, and he was in a band called the Scaremongers before this. So, mm. um, where he was actually singing, it wasn't reading poetry. But he says he always felt very uncomfortable in that in that position, um, and never really felt like the certainly this this project is. He feels much more confident in, like a live sense, and and what he's doing, that's his professional, um, yeah, that's that's his his work of expertise, mm. I guess. I mean, it's such a unique um, creation you've come up with. But were there any between the three of you? Were there any um, overt influences that you were drawing on as well? Or mm. um, we spoke about a couple of influences. Um, I think very early on, we loved the idea of where John Hopkins and King Creosote, um, they, they made a record together, which, which kind of fused this, had elements of beautiful songs and subtle electronics um, and, and soundscapes and field recordings uh, all thrown into, in, into the record. Um, that, that was that was an initial start, and I think we we really loved all of those elements coming into coming into play. Um, I guess on the whole, we have our own individual musical back- backgrounds. We spoke about albums and records and artists that um, that influence us all individually as a three, and I guess as an arranger and and a writer, I kind of tried to bring in all of those elements into into that. Um, but it's, it's really hard to try and lock down a, a specific touchstone record that, that we really felt influenced by. Um, I personally, I was, I was big, I'm a big fan of ne- Nicholas Jar and one of his records, Pomegranates has this insane piano, um, process. I don't know what he did. There's some amazing elements of, production in that and i i think later on during the during the process of production in in this record i i harked back to that um but on the whole just try to stay away from any influences and see where this one would would, would go really well i'm a huge fan of john hopkins i completely forgot about that project of his that you just mentioned so yeah yeah i can't remember the album name now unfortunately but i yeah. should find it i was going to say it feels like there's been a bit of a surge in popularity for the kind of spoken word scene, I suppose, recently. Mm. Um, would you say that helps give this particular project a bit of a boost as well, would you say? Mm. I mean, I can only hope that that we are not alone in in having music and spoken word and 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 having a record that, that includes those two. It's and it's really good to know that it's going into a healthy um audience that that seem to respond well to that and i mean i can't help to think that language is is totally universal and and people are touched emotionally um when when they hear beautiful words and and beautiful music 
Um, but it's good to know that people are keen to to that that it, that it's an actual thing. So I yeah, I mean, it's great to know. I I don't I don't know what that means for this record, um, but it can only be a good thing, huh? Yeah, because I mean, you if you turn on Radio Six, there's a good chance you're going to hear Kate Tempest. And I know you guys, um, you've had strong support from. Radio. I mean, this music really lends itself to that station in a, in the best possible way, doesn't it? So it's, it makes sense that um, you've had a few plays on. Was it Gideon Co that gave you the first well, play? Yeah, Gideon's played played some tracks. He had a. I think Gideon was the first person to play to play some one of one of the singles. Uh, but also, um, Joe Wiley at Radio Two um, has been a big supporter of horses and guy garvey has played lockdown and great coat and um and lauren laverne's show um premiered great coat as well so so we've had yeah we've had great support from from there um and 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 other places uh and and yeah obviously the 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 link with kate um is 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 a very strong reference point and what she's doing is is beyond incredible so we can only hope to sort of um to 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 fit in next to next to her on the record shelf and you know and 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 just fly the flag for for lyrical language that that makes people think yeah so on that are you able to talk us through some of the kind of lyrics slash poems featured in the music at all i mean yeah uh it's i think the general concept is of of the poetry is um summed up by the album title calling calling the crash team which simon describes as they are all standalone pieces of of perhaps someone in a crisis uh whether that be um psychological or physical um, but there is this underlying element of these characters being in some kind of crisis, um, which 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 seems to be quite um, an overwhelming concept at this current time when the record is about to come out. Um, however, we never really we did we had no idea that this was going to perhaps happen um, when we were writing this, but. Um, like I said, like Simon had created these these pieces um, of, of the underlying sense of of people in crisis. But there are other things like um, long lists. Uh, Simon says that he he really enjoys long lists of things. Certainly, bringing beauty into a mundane object, perhaps. So. Quick, the, the quick brown fox jumps over the lazy dog, which is which is maybe I can't remember, maybe like the penultimate track. Um, just reels off this amazing long list of of um, ephemeral, non-ephemeral objects of of Simon's choosing compared to um, a list curated by somebody else. Um, and uh, and when I heard that poem. I was it was one of my fa- it still is one of my favorite poems it has has the line where i stand in your affections as expressed in metric weight which you know 
as 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 a one line just like completely tore me to pieces and and it was what it's just such a wonderful um process to be to be to be in to and, and privileged to be able to like kind of work and make make the music underneath lines such as that um i mean in terms of you're kind of asking the wrong person when it comes to the the the, the depths of the poem themselves um but however, an interesting thing was that Simon regarded some poems when he sent them as being a dark poem in, in the way that he saw them, the language or the, the character or the narrative being quite a dark, brooding uh, atmosphere. And then when he heard them back, when I had arranged some ideas on them, they had become a lot lighter um for instance great coat is about um an oppressive and abusive relationship um and the coat emulating this this shadow and figure of abuse and but yet i added textures text textures of of um i don't know more more ephemeral beauty and and translated it completely differently so i guess that has been i know for, for for where simon comes from he says that that's a an incredibly exciting moment when when you get something back that you had no expectation that it was going to be quite like that hmm. was that his kind of intention from the outset to approach the poems as these kind of character pieces do you know i think his intention was to just try and find a home for these pieces that that had always been uh Put put to one side, knowing that they could be somewhere else in a different, different in a different light. So that was that that was his choice in the poems that were sent. Great, yeah. Um, so did uh, did this all take place down there in Devon then, at your studio? Or yeah, talk through yeah. that process. Yeah, I mean, I mean, a lot of it was done remotely because of the nature of of us three geographically. Simon is in 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 the north in Huddersfield. Um, I am down in Devon. Richard is in um, just outside of London in Alton, and um, we all have our own separate things going on, career-wise, and and that takes up a lot of our time. So, you know, the the only way that we could could have done this initially was remotely, um, and then I I got yeah I got the pieces back. We did bits of work remotely, and then. And then we kind of decided once we got to a point where all the songs were were at a point where we felt we had a record, we felt we had a sound. Um, my my initial intention was to actually just use the dictaphone uh, because I thought it was a really honest and amazing take on on how to to go about making a record. Unfortunately, yeah. I just the, the audio quality wasn't good enough. Um, and uh, and obviously that being a real main feature of the of the whole record, we we wanted to. So we we, we got together in London. We re-recorded um, his vocals. We actually added a few more pieces um, and went back and and did some more work on 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 some added stuff. We got the record together, and then every uh, and then everyone came down here to to finish it off. So once we had like a long list of tweaks that we wanted to do. And and a few things that we wanted to add, we all got on, in a room together. So 
yeah but it was all it was all concocted down here in a in a studio in fact it was actually like a studio in limbo it was um, a studio space and i kind of just set some gear up uh and it was before it had been um revamped so yeah that was that was where it took place and how mm. it took place i think that dictaphone might do quite well on ebay by the sounds of it yeah <laughs> you're right uh, have you still have you still got it it's got to be somewhere. I think it's Rich's actually. Yeah, it's probably on a shelf. Yeah, no, that must be that must be incredible listening through to those when you first got it. It really was, yeah. I was gonna, so you guys um, talking about the remote nature of it. That's quite interesting that you worked that way shortly before the the world was placed on remote, basically by the mm. lockdown situation. So. Yeah, I, and I think it was a big part of our production and methodology of making and writing um i think it shaped the record a lot of stuff done remotely meant that we would send ideas over and have more more time to to think about the parts and have um and have perspective between each thing so it slowed it down you didn't have that real uh hype that sometimes when you're you've got two weeks in a studio and you're working till three in the morning every morning and 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 Mm. you have this you know insanity there wasn't any of that uh so i think it really shaped 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 where we where we are and and then i guess it makes us a bit it makes us somewhat experts in in making music (laughs) remotely so so now that we are that it's the only way that we can write and create. We've we've been quite prolific in in, in new ideas and um, and and getting things done. So yeah, we it's it's worked perhaps into our favour in a in a very strange twisted way. Yeah. But then speaking of lockdown, you did manage to get a few performances in before lockdown. Is that right? Yeah, we got we got two shows in. Um, it was certainly not the world tour we were hoping for, but. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, we got two shows, Leeds and London. Both both went really, really great, and uh, an amazing reaction from people. So yeah. we're lucky enough to get them in. Cool. Uh, which venues were they at? Uh, so the first one was um, the Brudenell Social Club in Leeds, which has always been on my list of venues to want to headline. Ever since I was uh, studying at Leeds and lived around the corner, I saw all of the best shows in that room. The room's not changed at all. The PA's got better, and um, and we were able to to do our very first OIR show there. And Nathan yeah. Brudenell was 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 an amazing promoter and and looked after us and and yeah, it couldn't have gone better that show. It was amazing, amazing, amazing stuff. And was then, that a handpicked venue? So say again, sorry. Was that a handpicked venue by yourselves because it sounds like you really wanted to play uh, there. I think it was a it was it's definitely one of the best venues up up in the north and and I think Simon was quite keen to to play somewhere like that so um yeah I agent I agent um booked that booked the Brudenell which was great so I mean we didn't specifically rec- you know uh um uh yeah we didn't specifically ask for that venue however it just came came to be and then, and then we played the, um, I think it's the Curtin Theatre in London, uh, in Austin, 
um, which was, uh, yeah, a great, again, a, a very different space, a very different show, you know, a bit more confined and, 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 and sort of a bit more raucous. Uh, but yeah, again, a great crowd and yeah, a different sound, great crowd. Mm. They were all, you know, they were, they, they were great shows. Yeah, I was going to ask, you guys are on, um, is it the Mercury KX record label? Correct, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting because I guess predominantly the artists are from what's come to be known as the neoclassical genre. So people like Oliver Arnolds and Lambert. Mm. I actually spoke to Luke Howard yesterday morning. Um, oh. So, yeah, were you familiar with these kind of guys? Prior to yeah. Of- yeah, I was um, to an extent. Um, I mean, I think Oliver... Um, it's widely recognised. I I knew I knew about him um, and knew about Keaton Henson, who signed to those guys. Um, some of the others I've discovered since 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 being on the label. But it's um, it just works really. I think it works really well, and we're so lucky to have an amazing team there at, at MKX. Um, mm-hmm. And and they've worked tirelessly and really believed in the record from the start. So. And they were they were a label that we always felt could do something great um, in terms of their 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 outlook in, in in the music maybe maybe because there was elements of classical uh, work or neoclassical elements to the whole thing maybe because of my background uh, it's hard to say but it just it just worked like they 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 love the record and they've done such an amazing job in in vis- and in bringing it to 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 reality. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's hard to put my finger on it, but LWR definitely fits in almost perfectly in, with those other guys, you know. Yes, way I can't put words to, yeah. Um, amazing. Um, yeah, I'd just be great to ask a bit about your studio that you're at as well, if that's, um, okay. yeah, sure. Um, yeah, well, I mean, it's it's train it's changed a little bit since making the record, so I mean, it depends. Do you, do you want do you want the studio that was before or the studio that's after or a bit of both? <laughs> um, whatever you're interested in talking about, really. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, if we're if we're going down, so the record was the record was made uh, in a in a small space in in um, in a kind of converted barn, and I had like there was no real heating, there was no natural light. It was a it was a bit of a a bit of a strange place to feel inspired however and and this this was in the winter uh so mm. i was i was making i was making all of this at the kind of the dead of the dead of night so i think as an environment goes firstly it's a completely different environment to perhaps what uh what many other studios are like maybe not i don't know but it wasn't catered for um as, as it wasn't the studio of my dreams, let's put it that way. However, it was a space, uh, and and it had it had its own thing going on. Uh, Gear wise, I mean, I made it with some pretty rudimentary things. Luckily, my studio is back to back with another one, um, so it's it's a place called Middle Farm in Devon. Uh, run by producer Pete Miles, um, who's made countless numbers of records uh, and worked closely with me on session works uh, and and some other stuff. Uh, so I think 
I was able to have like a bit of expertise in terms of getting a studio working for a record and borrowing bits of gear as well. So, you know, I, I, I came from a bedroom background. I was just making things on a, on a really rudimentary 002 and, and, uh, and an old uh, MacBook, um, an old Mac tower Mac thing. So my audio conversion was perhaps like not, you know, there's a secondhand double double O two and some pretty rudimentary mics on pianos. Um, and I have my dad's old Kef speakers. So they, you know, like some hi-fi speakers, but I just made it work. And for the most part, I was plugging stuff into the back of that and listening on headphones and, and, and doing, doing most of the work on those speakers. Um, I knew that it wasn't ideal, but I think that when, when you're limited with your resources, perhaps you work harder. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have a Wurlitzer, a real Wurlitzer, and uh, that, that helps add, add some, some good quality analog hiss. Um, an old upright Kemble um, acoustic piano. That, that made its way onto a lot of stuff. There was quite a few pianos actually found their way onto the record. One, perhaps two, I ended up burning because I don't know. I mean, I don't like burning pan- pianos at all. Don't get me wrong, but like they were unwanted pianos and they, I didn't know what to do with them. I had no room for them and they were, they had their own character, but mostly it was because they were out of tune to be on repair. Um, uh so those were the kind of elements that i had around me musically um i borrowed a uh there's a moog uh sub that 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 found its way onto onto a few things um moog defam on on great coats uh and then and then asking asking friends to to feature on it as well so the, a lot of uh, backing vocals done by friends and, and musicians um uh string arrangements by by friends and and um and uh that was that was recorded in the big room here at middle farm so luckily i had i had a space where i could book out and um and do that there mm-hmm. um and now it's very different this is the same space but we've renovated the always the long game was to what, what was to so to have the studios renovated so so i have a lot more acoustic treatment now on the walls and i have uh a lynx um aurora 16 uh as my converter and i have um an old alice 1228 desk um and some and some sh- old shore summing boxes a uh, little cork stage echo and some quest heads so i feel like my my sonic game has changed a lot and i think the biggest the biggest change for me has been going from logic to ableton um mm. partly because i wanted to learn ableton for the live set um and i loved it so much that it's now my my only door that i use um and it's been a real creative program not just learning it but like i think that it's 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 got it's got some amazing features um so yeah that's that's now my studio it's gone from it's gone from one one rig to another quite quickly yeah cool do you have many uh plugins with um your ableton as well 
Uh, I used I used quite a few just like your general waves plugins when I was doing this record. Uh, a lot of fab filters, um, mostly just fab filters, really, to be honest. Um, mm. And some and a few other creative things like I used like the Silver Verb in Logic for for a while. Um, was yeah. it Silver Verb? Yeah, it was a Silver Verb just just for some some interesting reverb for plugins. However, since I've moved to Ableton, I've only really used you know there's there's a few stuff in in their their own plugins that I use. Um, there's the Sound Toys occasionally. But I've moved to using analog reverb, so I've set up two springs and I power that through a headphone amp um, and kind of track everything with this this stereo spring sound. So two two spring reverb units, um, one from an old Fender Twin, and and the other the other was from a, a Space Echo. So you've got two different lengths, mm. and you you fire them through through a headphone output and um, and and then compress on the way in. Um, and that gives me my, my spring sound, which is the spring sound that you hear on lockdown, uh, on that, on that, on that single. And so, so I don't really, and I think by, by tracking your reverbs and, and your delays through stage echoes, and I've got an old Sony, what is this thing? It's like a, it's old stereo TC630, uh, real to real, um, tape machine that, that does some interesting lo-fying um and i think by tracking all of those it becomes more exciting in the post-production idea of just not having plugins that you have to automate you can you have a bit more control over over the sound um the natural sound so i've kind of stepped away from Mm -hmm. plugins however i think at the mix process i'd still i'd still use some fab fab filters but I'd love to. I'd love to mix it on a real desk, um, you know, and, and another record on a desk at some oh point. Yeah. So um, finally, I guess the next challenge is moving LYR out of lockdown and back into the real world. Is that a discussion the three of you are having at the moment? Or? Yeah, very much so. I mean, now that we're at the point of releasing our first record, we're looking ahead at, the, at what happens next. We've been working on ideas, um, sending stuff remotely. Um, but we're hoping as soon as we, we are, we, we can, um, uh, whether we're allowed to, and we all feel comfortable with being able to, um, get together in the studio and start sort of making these demos into real things. Although like a lot of the tracking, I'm a firm believer that if you're going to make a demo, you track it, track it properly anyway, because a lot of people get demo-itis and as soon as you try to recreate the piano sound you just don't get what you what you want so get it get it straight away mm-hmm. and luckily now that i've got a lot more a lot more inputs than just like four mic pre's i've got um everything mic'd up uh, so so i i have i have everything just ready to go plugged in and it's tracked at, at, at the best the best quality that i can ever get it so i think you capture that that element and that take and that idea straight away and it's it's then done. You don't have to worry about that. You can you can uh, concentrate on on other things um, and not have that demoitis. Mm. And I presume the album's going to be on all the major platforms for people to listen to. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so it'll be digitally released as well as physically released. We have a we have a, um, a vinyl um, that says, "Yeah, stunning, stunning design," um, and uh, comes with booklet inside with all the lyrics printed out um, uh, on record. So and CD as well. So the, every every single consumable musical platform. Yeah. Well, I can't wait to hear the full. Thing. There's some amazing tracks to go on currently, but yeah, really looking forward to the full album releasing. Great. Well, Patrick, thank you so much for your time. It's been a fascinating chat. Thank you so much. Great to hear yeah. about the process behind the band. Yeah, amazing. So yeah, have an awesome day. Thank you. You too. Enjoy the record. Yeah, thank you. Bye. Headliner Radio, supporting the creative community.